0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Business Growth Secrets with your host, Adam Stott. I've got a fantastic guest with me today, who I'm about to introduce, uh, Richard. Richard is a serial entrepreneur, investor, he's travelled the world doing business, he's got some amazing philosophies. I asked him previously, how do you want to be introduced? And he said, fun-loving fat guy, he's very nice to people, so (laughs) that made me giggle and laugh, and I think this is going to be a fantastic, fun interview. So welcome on, Richard, great to have you on, really looking forward to hearing a bit more about your story. Everything going well? You good? What yeah, are you very good.
1: Very good. Tuning in from uh, from the middle of North Yorkshire somewhere. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's nothing better than British countryside on a sunny day.
0: Absolutely. So look, really looking forward to getting to know you and some of your philosophies around business and the things that you've done. There's so much to talk about here because you've invested in businesses, you've grown businesses, you've done lots of different things in your life. I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about that. What I like to do is really understand the the starting journey of, of the entrepreneurs that we talked to, Richard, and wanted to get to understand where did things kind of start for you? Do you think you have a, a general entrepreneur makeup? Is it something you learn? When did you first start getting interested in business and what was your first foray? So my
1: first foray was way back uh, when I was about 13 years old. Um, and uh, I don't really know exactly the moment that it kicked off, but I was doing gardening. Um, cutting people's lawns, uh, trimming the edges, learning uh, about how to prune standard roses and stuff like that. And the, the first place I worked at was actually a, a high court judge uh, somewhere in the home counties where I lived. From there, I, I started doing that on a Saturday morning. It turned into all day Saturday and Sunday. Then I needed more people. So a couple of my mates uh, came and worked for me. And I guess I just kind of learned that by the time I had four or five of them working for me, paying them £2 an hour, charging £4 an hour. I actually didn't actually need to really do very much myself and still have an income. And that has been the kind of basis of some of the most successful businesses that I've had um, over the years. Indeed, one of them, which has been a stalwart uh, of of my uh, uh, business uh, collection, uh, it still works on that basis today. I pay people. 40 grand a year and charge them out at 80 grand a year, uh, and just have lots of them. And it, it, it's been a good <laughs> basis, been a good basis for business. And it's, it's simple. Uh, it's uncomplicated. It's easy enough to run. Uh, you just have to run it well.
0: It's, it's interesting that you say it's simple, but why do so many entrepreneurs not get that? Because a lot, a lot don't, right? And I think that when you look at entrepreneurs in business, they, they try to do all the work themselves a lot of the time and they don't learn that basic lesson. Um, but I think it's actually a really good basic lesson to start with. You know, how does an entrepreneur maybe change their mindset in that way? Because a lot of the time, one of the biggest challenges to startups is actually making that first hire, getting that first person in to so experience that. It's great that you experienced it at 13. But would would you agree? Have you seen that a lot in your travels? You know, a lot of fear stops people from actually making that move, right? Yeah,
1: it it is. And and to not be afraid to get on with it is is one thing. You've also got to have an element of trust in there. You have to trust people to do the job um to the same level you are, uh or you would expect to do it yourself. And you've got to trust people's judgment as well. Um, a lot of the businesses I've I've invested in and started and taken the time, I'm no expert. I I don't hold a degree um i did three months of university and decided it wasn't for me uh and and left the uk age 20 and went overseas i started my first business at 25 and it was working on oil rigs and i don't know anything about oil rigs i don't know anything about oil don't know anything about mechanics don't know anything about cranes and there i am uh, to this day um a co-owner now of, of one of the biggest independently owned inspection companies in the upstream industry and i've managed that by uh getting involved with, employing, uh, liaising with, working with uh, people who are experts in that field. But there's an awful lot of people out there who are quite happy to have a job. So pay them to do a job. Pay them fairly. Pay them well. Pay them on time. Uh, and and the world really can be your oyster because they won't particularly have a desire to go and set up for themselves because it's not for everybody. Um, and one of the probably commonest things I used to hear in my younger days was, I don't know how you sleep at night. You know, when you've got a 100 people to pay at the end of every month, you've got customers not paying you on time, you've got to run your cash flow, uh, and, and all the other things that go along. And a lot of it, I've just muddled through and <laughs> learned as I've gone. Obviously, I'm I'm older now, so I'm wiser. Um, and I've made the mistake, and probably for certainly service companies, is treat your people well. Um, treat your people well, and you'll get a lot more latitude um, if they understand where you're at. And also, let them feel uh, your strength and support all the time.
0: Okay. No, I love that. So you say you learned that. Was that not something in the beginning that you was natural to you that was saying that you had to sort of learn to develop? Would you say?
1: Some, some people definitely there is, there, there are some people that have a natural ability to lead, uh, exude natural confidence. And I had no problem with that. Uh, and, and indeed, if you ask my parents, my father openly says no idea where he came from is no sign of anything in that son of mine anywhere in either side of our family. Um, but uh, uh, the, the natural leadership comes not being afraid to make a decision, um, which is a double-edged sword. Uh, the same as not being afraid to to give your opinion is a double-edged sword. Um, and that helps massively. The other thing that I have, I mean, a lot of people have referred to me over the years as Mr. Floaty, um, because I'll make a decision and then I'll go away, reflect on it, have a think about it. Chat to a couple of people and literally an hour later come back and you say, No, we were going up the stairs. No, we're going down the stairs.
0: <laughs> it's nice that you can, you know, admit, admit that, right? And, and actually say that because it's, it's very, very interesting. So a lot of people do it, you know, a lot, a lot of people certainly do. But as long as you then stay on the, deci- the decision that's the most strategic, that's obviously key, isn't it? Right. Of course.
1: Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's key to stay on it until it's wrong. And then you've got to get off it because if you don't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's so many there's it's very famous I read it in a book somewhere about a Korean airline pilot um, who was flying towards a mountain and the co-pilot said sir you're flying towards a mountain and he said no I'm not and the co-pilot didn't say anything else because it wasn't in their culture to be able to question the guys who's the boss so they flew straight into the mountain and I think a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong because they have that attitude it's like I've made that decision I'm going to follow it through why? It was the wrong one and you've got enough people around you, it's the wrong one. Maybe you should have a reevaluation of. It. Somebody very recently has told uh, Elon Musk, "Don't buy Twitter," mm. because look at how he's U-turned on that.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I th- you know, without a doubt. So I think there's some really important lessons there that you mentioned straight away, and and a lot of that comes down to um, risk, um, fear. And you talked to me a little bit prior to coming on about that and about having the the, the courage to make, to actually go out and, and do things, right? And that sounds to me, you know, from your story and your journey, you've been to multiple different countries, you've tried multiple different things. What's that been like then? So talk to us a little bit about how some of the, the opportunities have come up and what your mentality is towards opportunity.
1: Wow. Um, okay. So I'm I'm I'm. I like to have varied interests, um, and I have literally tried everything from sheep farming in Australia through to building warehouses in the UK, through to inspecting oil rigs in Saudi Arabia, uh, to selling sports apparel in America. So I've had a varied – and, and the, the opportunities come because I sit where I sit in the marketplace, which is I'm fairly well-known as an investor and an entrepreneur, people come to me with ideas. Some of them are not very good. Some of them seemed brilliant and turned out not to be very good. Um, some of them have been amazing and I didn't do it, and, so, and occasionally one or two of them have been the right decision, and I have done it, and I've done very well out of it. And some of them have been a surprise. I went into sheep farming think I was going to make money out of wool and meat, and the only money I made out of it was selling the land when I got rid of everything, when I decided that's my life as a sheep farmer uh, done for the moment. Um, that opportunity came very simply out of backpacking in Australia. I went to Australia for nine months um, after my initial foray into the oil and gas industry because I wanted to have a year out, having kind of worked pretty hard from the age of 13. By the time I got to my early 20s, I was kind of 10 years in. Um, and that's where that opportunity came from. And interestingly, when I started my initial oil and gas inspection company, the first international offices we opened were south because that's where I was going, Singapore and Australia, because of my lifestyle. I, I wanted to spend time down under um i loved being outside i loved the weather i loved all the experiences even the bugs and the snakes and all the rest of it um and i really enjoyed that time in my life which is why i continued to do it i had a beachfront cafe down there i had a uh Uh, a bus tour group entertainment business down there. I had some permanent glamping tents before glamping was really a thing uh, in Australia, didn't mind anywhere else. So they all came as natural progression from being in an environment where there were things going on and opportunities presented themselves. We talked earlier about fear. I, I have no fear about investing in anything. Happy to give it a go. Make sure you have the right partner if it's not your thing. Uh, and that's very important. And make sure that partner is motivated to make it as successful as you do.
0: Absolutely. And I love it, actually what you said to me earlier on. One of the things you said to me, which I thought was really interesting, and we'll get into the psychology of it a little bit, was you said that, hey, I've lost many, many deals. I've lost many opportunities. I've lost a lot of money, but I've made a hell of a lot of money because I've lost a lot of money. And yes. I think that mentality is, is really interesting because it means that you don't have the fear of risk. So that can really paralyze entrepreneurs from taking opportunities and making things happen. You know, so when it comes to failure and it sounds like along the way, you've had a couple along the way. How do you think around that? You know, what, how does that, does that influence you? I'd just really be interested to hear what you feel on that.
1: So failure is, is part of the learning experience. It is part of the experience. Um, obviously that you, you try and mitigate against that as much as possible in that I don't put my entire net worth into building spaceships to think I can get tourists in space. <laughs> um, but I, I'll put a percentage of it into that.
0: You know, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like that. Don't, don't, it's like any investment that you would make. Don't put everything into one thing. Um, so my various investments, and some of them have been catastrophically bad, um, have never wiped me out, and I and I owe that to the people who work for the other businesses that I own as well, because they. Rely on me to make sure every month they can pay their mortgages and their heating bills and their, fill up their cars with uh, massively overpriced petrol. And they rely on me to make sure that I have the money to be able to do that. And I say that to people, you know, I I think at my peak, I probably had five or six hundred families relying on me to make sure the money was there to get them paid at the end of every month. And that's every month. Uh, it's not like, oh, I've got a peak in expenditure. Every month that money goes out. So whatever I take out of the pot to do something else with, I've got to always make sure there's enough there to balance everything else out. And I've, I've done pretty well. Never missed payroll uh, in 25 years for any of the businesses, uh, I'm pleased to report. But as I said, we've had some catastrophic failures along the way. Um, and experience is what you get when you don't get what you
0: want. <laughs> absolutely and, and, and in terms of how do you then use that and bounce back from that experience then i think that that's something that a lot of the entrepreneurs listening a lot of people and, and what i've seen is people obviously i train a lot of business owners help a lot of business owners and help them grow their companies and their businesses and one of the reasons that people don't grow or one of the big reasons people don't grow is is basically risk tolerance is they're not prepared to to risk anything. They want everything to be perfect before they do anything. But of course, yeah. it's never perfect before you do anything, which is bec- why they don't get going, why they don't get moving. And and I think it is that that literally the progression is stopped through overthinking and failure. And I love you know having clearly spoken to you. It seems like that's not something that phases you. So I'm just trying to get that message across to the audience. How can somebody that it does phase work on it a little bit? Would you give it? Would there be a tip, or would there be something that you would say to somebody that's not making moves? You know, that's a bit stuck because they can't make a move. What would you say to them? Just do it. <laughs> In the words of Nike, yeah.
1: Right. The reason that that catchphrase hits home so hard is because you've got to mitigate against the worst that can happen. So, what's the worst that can happen? Allocate. So, if it's taking on an extra member of staff. That extra number of staff, you're going to put £20,000 down to employ them for six months, give them six months, see what happens. If it's hiring an office, then hire the office. Uh, and, and again, in the, in the, there's a lot of people I'm hearing are struggling with this work-from-home thing at the moment because it does work sometimes in some ways for some things, but equally it doesn't for a lot of things. People need to be together. We're a communal animal. And we need yeah. to be together to bounce ideas. We need to be together to motivate and so on. So a lot of people are struggling at the moment with, I need to rent an office. It's a 12-month commitment. It's a 12-month commitment. Put the money aside. Get on with it. Do it. If you lose it, you lose it. Uh, but imagine the, re- the, imagine the results that could come if you made the right decision and do it well. And that's what I mean about mitigating. So you take that amount of money, stick it in a pot, put it in a corner and forget it because you're going to lose it. It's gone. So in that case, it's a bit like going into a casino, isn't it? You take the 500 pounds, <laughs> take the 500 pounds, leave your credit cards at home, put the 500 pounds on chips. If the chips come good, you walk out, you cash out. As soon as you've got winnings, cash out and get out. That's the difference with the casino. <laughs> with business, you, you cash out and then invest in something else or, or you expand, you know, you reinvest to grow, take some of the profits, always take some for yourself. But but continue to reinvest and don't lose sight of reinvesting and growing and trust. You do have to trust. It's, it's one of those things. And you can never let trust uh, leave you uh, in business. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in your team. You have to trust in others as well. But again, mitigate. Trust them, but keep an eye.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're saying the worst case Scenario. I always say to people, "What's the worst case? What's the best case? What's the most likely case?" Because yes. that, that that can help us to understand, the, you know, the ups. Because a lot of people, what they do is just focus on the downside, right? So they actually have an understanding of the upside as well, and then also look at what's most likely to happen and make a more informed decision. That's awesome. So, in terms of investment, obviously, you've done a lot of investments over the years. Just something you've, uh, you know, been very involved in as an entrepreneur and somebody that's listening to the podcast and they're listening away and they're trying to understand a lot of people feel that sometimes they need an investment in order to go and grow their business. But a lot of the time they might not be ready for that investment or they haven't proved their concept enough. What do you look at? for a business owner when you're going to make an investment? Do you look at the business owner? Do you look at the idea? What's your kind of mindset for investing? And what can an entrepreneur to do to get themselves more prepared for investment if that's what they want?
1: So, uh, yeah, you need, to look at the, you need to look at the business plan. The, the, the person who's proposing this investment to you uh, has put together and how much time and effort has been put into it, and then uh, my first instinct would be to have a look at that and then book a call or a meeting for a coffee and just quiz a bit about it just to make sure that they do they did do the business plan themselves, they do understand their market sector, they do have yeah. a bit of experience in what it is, um, and not be afraid to pull it apart and put them under some stress because if you're going to invest in a business, you want to know that your business partner is going to be able to cope with a bit of stress and some uncomfortable questions. Uh, particularly when you're at month four and they still haven't got it off the market. You know, they've got to be prepared for the fact that as an investor, you're going to go, where's my return? Why haven't these milestones been hit? And so on. So you can learn an awful lot about a person all the way back before you even invest, just by putting some pressure on uh, and seeing what happens. Um, do obviously your own research about, ask about it, ask friends, ask family, ask other business associates, always take up a couple of references. It's always a good idea. Um, and probably just make sure you have a solid understanding of where your money going to go and where their appetite for success and risk is at. If part of the business plan, and this is something I've learned the hard way, if part of the business plan is to pay themselves a £100,000 a year uh, to as a salary, where's their risk? It's your money. It's a bit yeah. of their time that they're getting paid for. Where's their risk? I would say, yeah. to them, well, what do you need? Oh, I need fifteen hundred pounds a month just to, you know, pay the pay the energy bills, put fuel in the car, and make sure my kids have sandwiches. Uh, and it's like, okay, that's that seems that seems about right. Then they're they're automatically uh, after chasing the same success on the same timeline that they're proposing. Yeah. So so those are probably a few of the key front end things I would look at.
0: What could a, an entrepreneur do to go and get more investment? What should they do? What are some of the things you, you'd say would make someone stand out from the crowd when talking to an investor?
1: So, well, be prepared for all that I've just said. Um, yeah. know, know your topic. Show your passion and enthusiasm and be prepared to talk about what you have done and what could go wrong. Uh, because, again, mitigation of risk. What's the worst case scenario? Be prepared to talk about that, particularly with an investor, because the yeah, investor will.
0: Yeah, Go on. really good. I think mean, it's a great, great, great point because so many people just want to then again come in and tell you the upside. But if you tell the investor that, hey, look, this is the upside. This is you know this is the worst case scenario. That's, that's actually that helps them to make an informed decision, doesn't it? All right. So well, it does, to... and, and yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah.
1: be be prepared for that because if you're going to meet a fairly our oh, most no, experienced investors, like myself, they're going to ask those questions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great, fantastic stuff. And and you've had multiple business interests. Um, do you want to talk? Do you want to mention some of those? What have been some of the ones that you've enjoyed? The different businesses you started and grown. What's been some of your most? You would you say successful forays? We know about the oil and gas. You mentioned to me before we came on the call about cybersecurity, security. Um, you know, and you mentioned actually how important that is. How how important is that for a business owner right now? For example, cyber security. Do you know you have a business in this area as well?
1: Yes. Um, oh, cyber security is, is probably one of the most under resourced, uh, sectors of business, as in each business that's out there don't really pay an awful lot of time, effort or money, um, on it. Nothing like what they should. And, and, uh, my company, Escaris, is time and again, uh, provided feedback to businesses about how what they need to do just to shore up the basics, to make sure the firewall's in place and they have a good cybersecurity policy. They've trained their staff in understanding what, what to do and what not to do. And the trouble is that if you don't spend relatively small amounts of money, and by this I'm talking tens of thousands, you can quite literally cost yourselves millions um, when – a hackers come in and the ransomware stuff starts or whatever it is the particular problem that you're you're hit with and there's not an awful lot of money that needs to be spent there's not a lot of awful lot of time that needs to be taken to understand these risks and it's definitely a marketplace that is under resourced at the moment and there's a there's a real shortage of understanding about what can happen. People think their BT uh, home hub is a firewall. It's just not, um, particularly for people <laughs> working from home. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a growth area for us. It is. If you, every day you can read something in the in the news about another one of the big firms getting hit with hackers stealing uh, users' information, credit card details, or whatever. What doesn't hit the news is all the small companies that can literally be brought down. Um, and when I say small companies, I'm talking companies that turn over 20, 30, 50 million uh, can literally be brought down uh, by a fairly simple uh, uh, hacking attack. So it's very important around that. Yes, there you go. There's some waffle about that for you.
0: <laughs> no, it's not, you know, it's, it it just goes to show, obviously, the varied interests that, that you, you have. And which leads me to sort of my next question, which I th- I'd be really interested to know from your perspective, Have having been in business for a long, long time and done lots of different things. Where we are right now in 2022, what do you see as opportunities um, in the marketplace? You know, do you see um, any particular sectors you see opportunities or any particular things you think people should be doing, people should be aware of? You know, is there things in your mind that you're thinking right now, hey, you know, that looks like a good sector? Or even is there some sectors that you're worried about? Maybe the property market, different things like that. It'd be just interesting to hear your perspective as an investor on those.
1: Um, well, crypto is a big opportunity, particularly at the moment, um, because it's having the absolute uh, arse ripped out of it by the market. <laughs> so um, there's definitely an opportunity there. Crypto is here to stay. It's not disappearing. I'm not going to punt any particular. I would say probably if you're going to be a chance investor, again mitigate your risk, take a very small amount of your portfolio and chuck it into something known. Um Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, one of those better known coins rather than the Dodge coins uh yeah. and and so on. Um I definitely think that's a buy and hold uh, at the moment. Anything you've got kicking around um that you're not spending on something else, chuck it into a known crypto and hold it. Um the property market I think is going to struggle. I think there's going to be problems there. Interest rates People are talking about these half one, one and a half percent rises. Interest rates are going to go up an awful lot. They have to to get this this inflation under control. So saving money, I would stay off the markets for now, as in the general stock markets. I think they've got room to go lower. Again, as a buy and hold strategy. Put some money in to the better known names. Energy sector has a bit of growth in it for the next few years, probably. Anything to do with travel and tourism will have some sort of growth in it. And then anything to do with the staples that are talked about all the time, the Fang companies and so on. Probably stay away from Meta, Facebook, but the rest of them, I think, have, have plenty of growth potential in them. Add a little now, wait and see what happens in the next few weeks, add a little more. If it carries on down, you can like chase it down, like hedging and then buy and, as I said, buy and hold. I wouldn't bother trying to trade these markets on a day basis if you don't really know what you're doing for investment in sectors. Um, I do think that the uh, hospitality sector is going to make a big comeback at some point. Everybody's going to get over the COVID, uh, situation. I think the hospital, what I, what I was, I'm, I'm a very pro Brexit person. What hasn 't happened yet, and partly because of Brexit, is the reinvestment in the in the actual actual solid british economy i 'm talking about British people picking British fruit and veg and selling it in British uh, packaging on british shelves uh, hasn 't really happened yet. I foresaw a return to seasonal uh, growth. You get Brussels sprouts for Christmas, raspberries in spring and strawberries in summer. We haven't seen that as much as I thought we would. We may This inflation boom may see it happen. What I have seen is when I'm in London now, a lot of restaurants and hotels have predominantly British staffing, which is refreshing and interesting. Uh, what needs to happen is the, the wage levels need to now catch up with what people expect to be paid for work. Of course, that's going to add to inflation, so there's a bit of a cycle uh, in that. But I do think there's an opportunity there. As well. And if you are an entrepreneur looking to go into something like that, just make yourself a little bit different. And anything around the service sector, people are going to start going out. They're going to start spending money. Of course, working from home, I think has a future, but I think it's a lot less future than a lot of people think it does. Because as again, as humans, we like to work together. We like to group yeah, together. 100%. We like to bounce ideas. Uh, um,
0: so. change obviously new multiple businesses around a mentality of recruitment. I think there's a lot of people saying that people aren't necessarily taking the jobs. You know, it's far harder to find the talent. Have you had that at all across your businesses? You're not really finding that. Maybe. Um, just-
1: not, re- no, not really. We've, we've done okay. And this is across all of the businesses. We've not yeah. really had what we have found is we have to pay more. Yeah. If you have to pay more, we have to charge more. If We have to charge more. People have to pay more. So it's a Going cycle. Back now. The
0: simplicity, right? Yeah, you know that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's it. And that—that is—that is it.
1: The, the days of getting people in this country I always go back to basics. The days of getting people to pick fruit for seven pound fifty an hour are gone. And one of the things I find really difficult to swallow in a country that's supposed to have wage minimum wage protections and so on is how big companies like Amazon are continuing to operate with people on zero hours contracts and not paying them a fair wage for a fair day's work. I, I again and again come across Amazon drivers who are working for peanuts because they the Amazon will work it, they pay them for a schedule, they don't pay them by the hour. And that's how they get around it. And there are some people that are prepared to do that. Um and I just think that needs looking at um I mean when we go to politics, the whole benefit system needs looking <laughs> at and uh, so Rishi Sunak has no business being Chancellor, he has absolutely no appreciation of what people are going through. Uh, a government that doesn't means test hands out is irresponsible, giving away money because they can. Are they buying votes? What, you know, what are they doing with that? So there's, there's, lots of other stuff I can go off on with that one.
0: Well, no, I think it's been a really, really interesting chat, Richard. And, you know, Richard, if people want to connect with you, get to know you a bit more, where's the best sort of place? Do you have a, a social media that you prefer? Um, or a certain place, a website that you, you know, you, you use particularly for, for contact?
1: So if you want to see the fun side of me, go to Instagram. Uh, my yeah. handle is letter R, letter U, underscore living. Um, and then if you want to do the business stuff, LinkedIn, Richard Upshall
0: yeah okay well R- richard um it's been been a real pleasure having you on i love the straight talking and the simplicity you know i think that that's really really important And a lot of people can learn from that right in a big big way you keep it simple because at the end of the day business doesn't need to be complicated it can be overcomplicated a lot so i really enjoyed the chat thank you for coming on and uh, yeah i'll certainly uh, go over to what's the instagram handle again so everybody can you say it's R-U- are
1: are you underscore living
0: OK, brilliant. Go am check it out. So thanks again, Richard. It's been brilliant having you on. Really enjoyed the chat. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thank you. Great to be here.